All worship of God, public, family, and private worship, should be based upon and include much of the Bible. The Bible reveals God to us so that we may focus on Him, and to the extent that we focus on Him, we will worship Him. So if there's little revelation of God, there is little focus on God. And if there is little focus on God, there is little worship of God. Conversely, much revelation of God fosters much focus on God, which in turn evokes much worship of God. Bible reading and preaching is central in public worship because they are the clearest, most direct, most extensive presentations of God in the gathering. For the same reasons, Bible intake and meditation are at the heart of private worship. In worship, we should also sing biblically saturated songs as both musical declaration of God's truth and a biblical response, praise and thanksgiving, to the revelation of God. Prayer expresses in a biblical way our worshipful devotion to and dependence on God as he is revealed in Scripture, so does giving. God has ordained baptism and the Lord's Supper as elements of public worship, and in a visual way they too proclaim and remind us of divinely revealed truth. All the elements of worship prescribed in Scripture help us to focus on God. Since worship is focusing on and responding to God, regardless of what else we are doing, we are not worshiping if we are not thinking about God. You may be listening to a biblically sound sermon, but if you aren't mindful of what it says about God or from God to you, you aren't worshiping. You may be singing, holy, 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 but if you aren't thinking about God while singing it, you are not worshiping. You may be listening to someone pray, but if you aren't praying with him or her and thinking of God, you aren't worshiping. In one sense, we can say that all things done in obedience to the Lord, even everyday things at work and home, are acts of worship. But these do not substitute for the directly focused, exclusive of any other activity, biblically-based worship of God. Worship often includes words and actions, but it goes beyond them to focus on the mind and heart. Worship is the God-focused and response of the soul. It is being preoccupied with God. So no matter what you are saying or singing or doing at any moment, you are worshiping God only when He is the center of your attention. But whenever you do focus on the infinite worth of God, you will respond in worship as surely as the moon reflects the sun. This kind of worship is not in vain. From Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Don Whitney, this is the Reformed Faith and Family Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Reformed Faith and Family Podcast. We are your hosts, Caleb and Lindsay Stomberg. Hello. This week we are going to be continuing our discussion that we started last time on spiritual disciplines. We uh, kind of we mentioned a list and, and largely kind of working out of, of concepts or, or, or an order that's put out by Don Whitney and his Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life book. Uh, and we, we covered the first two of those last week on Bible intake in prayer, uh, and really try to not just discussing what those practices are, uh, but try to give some some food for thought on how to be intentional with those in our lives. So that and try to and even how we maybe 
evolved over time and matured and, and how we go about them. So we're doing this as a series within a series. So our uh, season and for season two is all about being intentional as a Christian and the decisions that we make. And we felt like we couldn't finish the season out without talking about just Christian disciplines uh, that we all should be partaking in. And we spoke about this last week, but some Christians might hear this and think this is just, duh, we should all know this. But I think that Caleb and I even realized as we were um, maturing in our faith, I feel I don't feel like we've arrived, so we won't, but anyway, um, but we've learned a lot over the years, uh, just during sanctification about and, and learning what other people do for um, these different disciplines that have really helped us to grow in them. And so we're hoping that we might be able to shed a little light on things that might help um, help you in your own walk. But we're doing this series within a series, so series on the spiritual disciplines within our greater series this season of just being intentional as a Christian. Yeah, and, and even if they are, you know, basic, simple kind of things, um, there's lots of things that we know almost instinctually that we should be doing that we really struggle with doing very well, you know, and, and that was, um, one of the two we talked about last week was, was on prayer and every Christian knows they should be praying. I was hearing your introductory reading and I was thinking, man, I really fail at not letting my mind wonder when other people are praying (laughs) in women's Bible study or whatever that, you know, just trying to keep your mind on, on focusing on the Lord during those times. Yeah. I mean, and there are times when when you're praying yourself, and and to keep your mind any kind any kind of focused on God and the things of God can be difficult. So even something so basic that everybody would be like, yeah, of course we should be doing that. There's still lots to be learned about how to do that effectively, and and how to you know sometimes even things the more basic it is, the more somebody might be almost embarrassed to admit that they're not really sure what to do with that, or they struggle with that, or they assume everybody else must be doing well, so uh, they just kind of suffer in silence and, and struggle with that and, and really are stunted in their in their Christian life because they don't know how to commune with God. They don't know how to approach his word. They don't know how to approach him in prayer. They don't know what to do with his word once they've once they've read it or, or how to enact the different kind of scriptural principles in their life. And that that's kind of the discussion we want to have now. It just uh, even on some of these basic things, yeah, they're basic, but that doesn't mean everybody does them. It doesn't mean everybody does them well. Or and and or that even everybody is familiar with them. Well, I will ask you, just because you're a pastor, do you feel like this, these things that we're going to be going through are things that should be covered just in discipleship in general? And Because I'm not, a lot of these that we're going to be talking about, I don't think are. I mean, if you're talking about like stewardship of money, as we get to that for like giving and generosity and fasting, um, I don't know that those are generally covered in your basic discipleship classes or even relationship with people. Yeah, so just out of helpfulness, let's uh, we'll just want to walk through the list that we're going to be kind of considering yeah. on this. Um, like last last time we talked about Bible intake and prayer, uh, and those are probably some of the ones that are the most basic. Everybody like, yeah, of course we're supposed to do that, even if many people are really awful. That I've uh, I heard a statistic on on a podcast that I like that. Um, it's only like one in five uh, Christians that actually read their Bible regularly, or is that one in five never read their Bible? 
I'd actually believe the first one more. Honestly, I don't remember which way that went, but it was it, it's a surprisingly just number of Christians that just don't ever touch their Bible. So even something so basic, let me know they don't. So yeah, Bible intake, prayer, scripture, meditation. Uh, involved with that would also be like scripture memorization because it's hard to meditate on something you haven't memorized. Um, worship, evangelism, serving, stewardship, fasting, silence and solitude, journaling and learning. So those are the those are the issues that we're going to be covering as we go along. And yeah, I think definitely those are those are things that should be covered in a in a discipleship kind of environment. You know, it's kind of it it's it could be difficult in in a larger group environment to try and go through and and model and really work with somebody on, on the complete list of those. We can do an academic kind of thing. You can do something like we're doing it in in our podcast now where just trying to get people to think about a little bit more, but those really are our best taught through example and through time with somebody and kind of working with them and accountability and kind of uh, going over that. So in a discipleship environment, those, those should be things that are front and center. But as you and I both experience on our own lives, discipleship is, is far from a guarantee in the Christian's life. As, as far as any kind of intentional, somebody taking you, uh, and intentionally pouring time into you to try and help raise you in maturity in the Lord. Uh, there are many people that that don't get any of that from anybody, um, and even the ones that are lucky enough to have somebody that cares about them to try to pour into their life. Uh, sometimes you know they we we don't want to go through things that are considered to be basic, and uh, as as someone who's mentoring, you don't want to mentor somebody or disciple them in somewhere that you're weak in because you feel uh, fake if you try to do that. Uh, so I think there's there's any number of reasons why even in a mentoring relationship, these would be avoided, um, not even out of nefarious kind of reasons. Uh, and when you couple that on top of the fact that so many people don't have somebody discipling or mentoring them, uh, it, it's no wonder that even these basic kind of things that would have been common, expected, and well understood 100 years ago in the church, anywhere you found it, are, are really kind of... Um, mysteries now. Well, why do you think that these things have become mysteries? You know, I think there's, especially, you know, we're, we're Baptist and there's some negative things that go along with Baptists, you know, I agree with that. Rejecting, uh, (laughs) you know, there's a, there's a a tendency to want to reject some intellectualism to want to reject any kind of formality because, you know, we, we assume we're Baptists historically at different times. Uh, not if you go back far enough. I'm going to defend that. Anytime, if you go back far enough with Baptists, uh, they were confessional. They were reformed. Um, they they believed in, in a certain amount of liturgy and, and formality in worship uh, and a seriousness in the way of approaching God and in life. But for uh, those who are new to the podcast, we grew up mainstream evangelical. Right. Mo- modern modern Baptists um, have suffered from you know this impulse that is rejected you know, some kind of high intellectualism, rejected um, any kind of liturgy in the church, uh, even though Baptists have as many traditions as anybody ever has. Um, but rejecting any kind of formal system of that, rejecting any kind of uh, a strict regimen of any sort. So because it, it's somehow less spiritual if, if you plan on things, if you do them on purpose. Except potlucks. Except potlucks. Baptists do love to eat, but um, <laughs> I, I've I've known enough non-Baptists that that's a pretty universal thing. Uh, Southern Baptists might have just do it better, especially if you look at maybe the average waistline in a Southern Baptist church. Um, but yeah, that 
that that re, kind of rejection of those formalized type things can really lead someone away from these things. So the, you know, you go back in the history of the church, these things would have been taught. These things would have been expected. There would have been, you know, the uh, the Anglicans, you know, the common book of prayer that that most people in the church used. Um, and there's lots of good stuff, at least in the older versions of those things, um, to really help people walk through things and, and do, to approach these things regularly. But as Baptists um, largely have, have abandoned any kind of confessionalism, uh, abandoned the formalism of catechism kind of things, abandoned any kind of um, rote program, um, for they they love their programs. Right, they, I was gonna say they do love their programs. They love their but programs, but not not someone that 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 um guides them into diligence in scripture, in prayer, in their personal lives. They love the kind of things that get them into a classroom and get to go do the big things and go through the books and have all the events. Well, I think it that came out of a desire to bring more people in rather than actually shore up those who were already in the church. So the programs that we have today, it's all that seeker-friendly, trying to get people in the door, versus what we're talking about is the kind of... Um, just orthodox things that are trying to disciple the people who are yeah. already in the pews. Yeah, and that's another part of it. So you got the anti-intellectual, the 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 um, resistance against anything that 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 um, would be claimed to reek of religious formalism or liturgy, uh, and then you have that that drive for uh, always for drawing in the new things. So you had to be exciting, you had to be innovative. Um, anything that's old, you know, we, we used to believe in the church and, and, and we do now, and we're trying to help others recapture that. But, you know, it used to be the idea that, that things that were old were, were safer. You know, we, um, we wanted to look to church history, look to things that have stood the test of time. Um, it's why our confession was written in 1689 and why we don't try to have some, uh, something that's updated every 10 years or so to be more hip and modern. Um, so there's that they used to be, and that's the old way to have uh, a, a special care for things that are old and have stood time. Um, but the newer kind of mentality, and not just for Baptists, this is evangelicalism as a whole. The newer kind of mentality is, well, if it's new, it's better. If it's innovative, it's better. If it's if it's um, tying into the spirit of the age, or you know, the latest psych- psychology and all the different studies that are coming out now and market research type things. And if it, if it's new and it can, you know, that's, that's what's been celebrated is new ways of doing things. Uh, and you have some of these new churches that, that reached monumental stature as far as attendance and everything else. And everybody wants to copy those because those are the ones, you know, Saddleback, that's the, that's the, uh, the successful church. And, and they did all this new stuff and they got all these people in there and, and look how, look how much God is blessing that. Cause obviously numbers is the same thing as God's blessing and, and actually kingdom impact. So that's definitely a part of it is that, that looking for that new element, um, and rejecting the old, uh, and when you do that, you don't want these these things that we're talking about. These are these are old. These are stale. These are things that have been around forever that um, people used to do before they had all the new exciting hotness available for them. Yeah. No, I I appreciate those answers. I just thought it would be good to kind of uh, give some context before we jump into this about exactly um, what we're looking at with why it's so important that we discuss these disciplines and what's lacking now, um, how, how these aren't being talked about in the church at large, and why that is. Yeah, and these kind of things, 
these uh, these things that are, are, are rut- that get built into routines and just a normal part of our life, they build in a kind of dependency and stability that people are just really lacking now. That you know, these are the kind of things that really help lay that solid foundation in life that that gives you the the strength and the and the the, the um mobility to to withstand whatever you're going to face in life and things that come up uh, because you're well grounded um and and that's when that christians is so often now aren't because they're not you know the they want the latest and greatest book that comes out and everything uh rather than the old ones you know and there's been many people that have that have said you should spend a lot of time you know spend most of your time in scripture and then outside of that spend the majority of the rest of your time uh reading old dead guys uh, and then, you know, with what time you have left, maybe check out some of the new things. And that's not the mentality that most of us have now. It's, it's well, if I have to, I'll spend some time in Scripture. And then I want to I devour all the latest, greatest kind of things and the new things that are out and ex- that are being talked about and generating, you know, hype. Um, and, and those things necessarily neglect all the old because um, it, it's got to have some reason to get you to catch your attention that somebody else doesn't have. So that means that we've largely abandoned these kind of old practices that really did ground Christians for, you know, a couple thousand years. And without them, we've lost a lost a stability. We've lost an ability to to be independent, to think independently, to to have God's word hidden in our heart in a way that that we can call upon that and that the spirit has that available to remind us of, you know, the this, the Holy Spirit does work within the believer to remind them of, of the things of Scripture, just as He did in the lives of, of the apostles, to remind them of the things that they were taught by Christ. Um, but He doesn't typically um, remind us of something that we've never studied before, we've never read before, heard before. That that would be essentially be new revelation, or or having to be newly receive old revelation and that's just not the way that god works uh, that's not the typical way that god works that he works through his spirit to remind us of things that we've studied and meditated upon and brings those to mind uh, at times when that's what's needed to help guide us and protect us and keep us and yeah that, that there's just a lot of reasons that um I th- you know the lack of spiritual this this one's isn't everything that's wrong with the church but it's a big part of the kind of mentality that has brought a lot of weakness and an immaturity, per, perpetual immaturity within the church. Yeah, that's a really good point and something to that I even need to think about because I, I was just wanting to let our audience know too that we do not talk about these things, uh, supposing that you think that we are uh, heroes in them <laughs> or that we've somehow figured these things out 100% and we're then sharing that. We, we also struggle with these things at different times uh, with every Christian. I think sometimes even let's just take Bible study, for instance, will come easier to some people during some seasons of their life than others. And so we do not claim perfection in any of these, but definitely want to share just our journey in them and, and what we've learned about them and some practical ways that we hope will help you as you try and just form these habits in your own life. Yeah, we, we've learned enough to know that we're not strong enough or wise enough to stand without these kind of practices uh, and routines being built into our life. 
something that as we've been talking about this, I've been really thinking about is First Thessalonians five sixteen through 17 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. And as we think of that verse, we just realize that all forming these habits in our lives, it's not uh, it's obviously not going to be of our own willpower. It has to come through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. No, definitely. And these, and that's a lot of what we do as Christians is just trying to really foster our our relationship with with God, with the with the Spirit, to become more sensitive to the Spirit's leading, um, to work within even in the kind of the bounds or, or the typical. Uh, teaching of what Scripture tells us of how the Spirit works within the lives of believers, uh, to to lean into that, you know, to to trust that the Spirit will give voice to our prayers when when we when you have agonies and, and groanings that are too deep for words that He can interpret and, and you know pray on our behalf essentially to that or to realize to know that He will bring to mind the things that we have learned in the past when we need them and um, to to bring conviction of sin and to guide to to be that that um, protection against things that we know are wrong, all those kind of, there's a lot of things that scripture teaches us about what the Holy Spirit does and the typical work that he has been given as our helper. Um, to really lean into that is, is, is a lot of what a mature Christian should be doing. Well, I know that we mentioned in the last episode, as we were talking about Bible reading and prayer, that about how the Holy Spirit works in us to help, through our Bible reading to help us learn who God is and how we ought to pray. And then as we are sanctified, we, we learn how to pray properly. And the whole thing about God answering our prayers and us seeing that work out is as our, our prayers align with his will. Um, and I know we kind of fleshed that out in the last episode. Yeah, no, definitely. And and even the uh, the the spiritual disciplines we're focusing on, I guess, in in this episode are, you know, scripture meditation and worship. And the first one of those in particular, scripture meditation, uh, has a lot to do with both Bible intake and prayer. Uh, it's something that uh, you can uh, will often do while we're reading the Bible or while we're praying as part of that. Um, though it is, it's distinct enough that it's that it's worthy of. Um, taking some time to consider independently, um, but it, it, as I said, it's very closely related to to Bible study and prayer, uh, and it's um, it, it's there's a book that that Don Whitney has that you know it's it's praying the Bible, uh, and and then we talked about that last time about you know ways to help us understand how to pray, but um, you know if we want to have the right kind of thoughts, or as Scripture says, you know whatever is, is beautiful and noble and pure. Um, to focus on those things, you know, to have have our hearts set upon those things. Well, what could possibly be more beautiful and noble and pure than Scripture itself? Um, to and what does it look like to be setting our hearts purposely upon the Word of God? And that that's meditation. You know, the um, the West Eastern idea, sorry, the Eastern idea of meditation that you'll hear of, you know, whether it's yoga or different kind of Eastern kind of uh, meditations and religious kind of things. Uh, it puts meditation as the idea of emptying yourself completely. You know, the goal is to be completely open and empty, you know, to make yourself almost like a blank slate. To, to, to meditate perfectly is to make it so that there's absolutely nothing on your mind and you are an empty vessel. Uh, and that's touted in 
anything Eastern as, as what meditation is. And sadly, there's a lot of um, things that are called Christian that borrow more from that than they do from Scripture. You know, biblically, meditation is not emptying ourselves of something. It is filling ourselves with the right things. You know, it's filling ourselves with the Word of God and to be able to take what God has, has revealed to us and given us in His Word and to, to mull over it, to, to, to um, just saturate ourselves in it, to um, let, it be, let it be a season for us and just to marinate in His Word. I think it's really important for Christians to realize that if we aren't filling ourselves with the right things, then something that is the wrong thing we're, will take its place. We, we will feel, fill those empty spaces with then things that are poor for us, junk junk food in a spiritual sense. Um, I was actually, this is off topic, but still applies. Was that like when, um, when Roman Catholicism was taken out after the Protestant Reformation as the, the main um, head of society, like driving force behind society when that was taken out, well, science just took its place. And we do the same thing, though, in our personal lives. Like if we don't have, you know, um, the our Bible reading and prayer in the morning as our spiritual habit, then we're going to have our cell phone in our hands as our spiritual habit. And that is a slap on the wrist to me as well. But I am just trying to make the point that it is really um, easy to let other things creep in that place if you do not make a forcible habit in your life about these matters. Right. And that's that's the danger of Eastern meditation. Um, you know, it's deceptive because it may, it seems like, well, we would just declutter our minds and, and empty ourselves completely. Then we'd just be more peaceful and whole and not concerned with the worries of the world. Um, that's not what happens. We don't just, we're, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, uh, that kind of mentality. Then um, if, if you, whatever you clear out, you're making room for something uh, and you're just going to be living out um, the, what, what Jesus talked about where, you know, the man who, essentially and has a demon that's driven off and um and makes the room clean and, and you know all set up and nice because the demon's gone and uh, then he comes back with seven more of his friends because there's now there's more room and it's more organized and it's a better place for him to to abide and um and then that's definitely true that if we if we think we're emptying ourselves completely of anything you know spiritual or 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 con- concerns or cares whatever else um we're going to end up in a worse state than we started in. Uh, and if we don't make any consideration for it whatsoever, by default, we don't have the right things that are filling us. So that, that's, that has to be something that we have to work for. That's, a, that's, that's why we're pushing spiritual disciplines, because these are the kind of habits and things that we can make part of our life that can purposely fill in those areas of our life and, and get rid of things that are bad for us and to fill with those things that are good and right and noble and pure and beautiful and life-giving um, so that we can thrive and we can grow, we can mature. Well, that's, that's definitely, uh, it's, it's a good thing to remember that, it, that there is, there is no just um, neutrality. Again, you know, we've, we've talked about that before and I've, I don't know how many times I've used that phrase in preaching, but there is no such thing as neutrality. Uh, no, no, just emptiness. No, just innocent kind of bystander. It's uh, we are in the middle of of spiritual war, and we are either, you know, the slaves of Christ or we are the slaves of the enemy, and there is no in between. We're either devoting ourselves to to the one or to the other. We love the one, hate the other. Um, 
that that's what our lives are. That's what the human condition is in this age. Uh, and it's why we need to be so diligent to make sure that we are following after Christ, obeying his commandments and, and setting ourselves up in every way that we can. An apathetic Christian is dangerous, right? Yeah. An apathetic Christian is, um, it should be an oxymoron, but we, we know by experience there are times when we struggle with, with apathy. Um, but believer, if, if you are dealing with that, of just not caring, I, I would be very concerned um, because either God is going to do something in your life to make you care, uh, which often has the, has the, the shape of, of discipline or trial and, and heartache and just going through things we wouldn't wish on ourselves. Or if God doesn't do that and he doesn't work in your life to make you care, and he just lets you continue in apathy, uh, you will prove yourself to be a false child and, and ultimately just drift away. I would say some people actually do care but don't act and it, or are very, very slow to act. So maybe this is an encouragement just to get you know your butt in gear and just take one step at a time. I think it can be very overwhelming for some people to hear all of these spiritual disciplines we're going to go through and say, well, good grief, I can't put all of those in action this week because, you know, your head will explode. But if you just start with read a chapter in the Bible a day and say a prayer and start there, and then you can grow from there. Right. We're not going to suggest that when you start meditating on Scripture uh, that you um, sit down until you memorize entire books of the Bible and that your meditation is spending three hours a day uh, just running through those books of the Bible in your mind over and over again and trying to consider them and, and forward and, and backward and all that kind of stuff. That, that's not a place to start. That's, that's not realistic, and it's not going to be helpful for most people. It would be so overwhelming that people would just be driven to despair. Um, but we're going to say that do something. Do move in the right direction. So if you don't meditate on Scripture at all right now, and then start. Um, and if you're not somewhere where you can sit down with your Bible open in front of you and spend time in, in meditation and reading and prayer, then uh, if you have one Bible verse memorized, then meditate on that verse. And if you have no verses memorized, Jesus wept. It's in the Bible. Jesus wept. Meditate on that, that Jesus had emotions and that he cared for his friend when his friend died. That he, that he wept because of, of, the, of the loss of a friend and the suffering and that his other friends were going to be going through an account of it, and that's tied into the story of Lazarus. And um, So if, if you don't know any other scripture, you can think of that and, and think of the context of, of, of that story and just meditate on the, on the fact that God, the God who created the universe came on and, and took on human flesh such that he would have the emotional capacity to be that kind of vulnerable and wounded um, by the loss of a friend and to weep. You can meditate on that verse and, and spend time considering that and praying and asking that God would, would help you to understand more what that means, would help you to, to be more like Christ. So something that simple is possible to do. I have been known to remind Caleb of that verse because little known fact about him, I have never seen him cry. But I digress. <laughs> but I mean, it, it can be something that simple. And, you know, don't, don't hear anything we're saying is like, well, you better go out and do all these things perfectly. Otherwise, don't call yourself a Christian. No, we're, we're trying to encourage you to, to, to take 
some kind of action, some kind of step. Uh, and even if you don't cry yourself, that you can understand that Jesus did. Um, and if the, uh, the only thing that it does is show you that it, it's, it can be incredibly masculine to cry, then that's still a victory. Uh, it's helping you understand who Jesus is. And, and you know, that, that's an almost silly example, but it's a real thing that, that could be spiritually benefit, beneficial to, to think upon. But to, to take time to do that, and, and maybe you don't do that for an hour at a time or you're not, but, you know, if you, if you wake up during the middle of the night and uh, the older I get, it seems like the more times I'll, I'll roll over or something, I'll wake up for a few minutes and just be awake a little bit in the night. Um, that's a great time. Just to set your mind, right? instead of letting yourself get all focused on what's going to happen the next day and, and get all nervous and anxious, um, just just meditate on, on something from God's Word. And, you know, speaking of being anxious or that, if you find yourself starting to get anxious and you're dealing with that, you feel anxiety welling and, you know, panic just around the corner, um, then memorize, as part of meditation, memorize some of the some of the very beautiful gospel truths, you know, memorize, you know, the, the passage about casting our cares at the feet of our Savior because He cares for us, you know, to to do things like that to, um, and then and just think about that over and over again. No, I, I'm I will I will cast my cares at, at at the at the foot of the cross or cast my cares at the at the foot of Jesus because He cares for me because He came and and took my burdens for me. To, you know, it's things like that where it's like. It's it's not not as simple as just kind of going into a mantra of saying the same thing over and over again. That's not what we're talking about. Um, but to remind yourself of things, to to think on, to dwell on uh, the things of Scripture, and 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 what what can guide what what you choose to meditate upon often is going to come from one of those things that you struggle with, or one of those things that that fuel your doubts uh, and really make you unsure. Well, then memorize some very basic gospel truths that are, that are applicable in those areas and and meditate on that and, and to to remind yourself of that and to dwell on that anytime that you're tempted uh, to struggle or, or to despair uh, and, and see what God will do as you're using his word and his promises. Let's talk a little bit about how meditation and memorization are connected because technically those are two different things because I would say that meditating is more thinking on uh, and I, well, yeah, thinking on, I don't have a better word for where I was going with that, but then memorization, you know, the art of memorization, some people are not very good at memorizing. Mm -hmm. And so I guess maybe let's explore those differences, but also how they connect a little bit. Sure. Sure. I think, you know, there are, it can be clear differences because you can have things that are memorized that, that have really no spiritual or intellectual impact on you. Um, so there, there are things that we memorize, you know, if, and, and there are some people out there that say they can't memorize at all. A lot of men who be like, well, I'm just not good at memorizing things. Um, but they know the rosters of, of their favorite sports teams. They know the rosters of the teams they hate. They, if they're into fantasy football or baseball or anything like that, then they've got so many stats that are in their head and so many things that they're aware of and, and can, and can regurgitate, um, that it makes your mind spin a little bit. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's just a matter of what, what do you really care about and what are you spending time with? And, and sometimes it's, it's only because there's so much time listening and watching and, and paying attention to, to blogs and everything else to talk about it, then it just sinks in. Um, so it doesn't have to be, you know, spiritually, um, relevant necessarily, even it can just be information or, uh, 
there's so many things that, you know, depending on what your career field is, there's a lot of things you have to know, just information that you need to be able to do the same thing every way, you know, computer systems and, and software programs and um, just uh, different processes that, that applied in any kind of business environment. Yeah, you have to memorize those things. If you look at information long enough, it usually gets stuck in your brain. <laughs> if, you, yeah, if you do the same kind of thing over and over again. And um, you're going to have people that can do fairly complicated procedures within, within a computer software environment that if you just put in front of a computer, um, they said they'll freeze. They have no idea what to do with it. can hardly turn the thing on. But you point them and you, you get them into the program that they're used to and the same thing that they've been taught to do over and over again, just where, where do you put the mouse? Where do you click on? What keys do you hit? Um, you, can, you can teach somebody to do a lot just by rote memorization and just by repetition over and over and over again. So, yeah, strictly memorization is just getting something that you can recall it or you can do the same thing over and over again, whether that's an action or whether that's uh, remembrance of words that you've read. So it, there's, there's engagement with the mind, uh, but sometimes it's, it's in spite of yourself that, that there's engagement there because, you know, you can do that with uh, things that you don't want to know. Um, and the difference with there with like a meditation is meditation, you, you can technically meditate on something that you don't have memorized because you can meditate on, on something that's you've got in front of you. So you can, you can open up your Bible and you can sit there and read a passage, and then you can meditate on that passage. You can you can think through that and kind of um, let that that those words of, of the of the of the verses just kind of roll back and forward in your mind, and and to just sit there and think on them and consider how how consider the the mood of of how the when the words are written, or the mood of someone when when they would have received the words, or how it would have impacted them. Different areas in your life that it might be meaningful to you how you can obey the principles taught there more, how you can adapt your heart and change your heart and change your way of thinking to be more in line with it. And, and you're just kind of back and forth with it. You can do that with something you haven't memorized, but then you're limited to when you have, you know, scripture right in front of your, right in front of your face. Um, the beauty of, of memorization is you now have the ability to think on something, to recall it, to use it, uh, as, as a weapon sometimes, or use it as a shield sometimes, or to use it as the object of, of, of meditation, because it's always available to you. When you're, when you're in, front of your, in front of your Bible, or when you're, when you're away, when you're driving, you can be exercising, you can be riding in a car, you can be you know, at work, I mean, you can do any, any time and place, and, and bring to mind uh, what you have memorized, and then to dwell on that, to think on that, to really just lean into it to try and understand every nuance of it to try and and think through a thousand different ways of where that might be applicable or how that might affect what you're thinking about or how you act uh, and, and you can do that and like I said before uh, the real beauty with that is you can selectively memorize things that are applied to areas that you struggle with in your life or to things that you're really wanting, if you have a goal, you can realize like, okay, I really want to, even if I'm not particularly bad in sin in some area, but I really want to excel in a different area or really want to be driven in that way, then memorize things that'll help you in that direction and, and think about those things and meditate on those things and, and being able to meditate uh, on command 
essentially on on a particular subject or verse, especially with with the promises of scripture, is hugely beneficial. And, and you know, to be able to bring that out and, and to offer that for yourself, and even offer that to somebody else if you come across somebody who is really struggling with something, um, and to be able to in, in the moment to pray with them, to offer them a promise from scripture because you've memorized it. And then to help them think through and help kind of help them meditate on that by walking them through something that you have considered and mulled over so many times before, that's a huge blessing in a way that you can help somebody else uh, that doesn't have access to that in a way that we can support one another. So there, there's so many benefits to that. I've been a beneficiary of that kind of blessing where someone could re- recall scripture in the moment and quote it in prayer and to me. And that is a real gift to others to be able to do that and something I hadn't really thought of as a benefit to memorizing scripture in a real, uh, that well-spoken. I was even thinking, and I don't know how cliche this sounds, but just the fact that we're supposed to be putting on the armor of God and we don't leave our sword at home. And so we need to actually be prepared with the sword, which is God's word at all times. And so um, you may be starting from scratch and not, not maybe... I grew up in a Christian home. I was doing sword drills from the earliest years I can remember. I get that some people have uh, certain things uh, when it comes down to scripture memorization in their back pockets from Awanas or whatever, where other people's other people didn't get um, saved until they were an adult, and so they they're starting from scratch later on, and that that is just how it is. But we all start somewhere, and. So just start small. And I really like Caleb's um, idea of just start memorizing things that you're struggling with so that you can meditate on those and then grow from there. I did want to give a couple of things that just practical things that I've used. BibleMemory.com. It's an app, but it's also accessible from just your desktop. Um, It actually is a really neat uh, computer program where you can help It helps you to memorize scripture just by typing, and then you can also file scripture verses by category. And so as Caleb was talking, I was like, oh, you could do some, you know, a category for anxiety. You could do a category for, you know, patience or whatever you're dealing with, and you could um, memorize scriptures according to that. I've also seen where people take index card boxes and they put little file, if you're more of a writer instead of a typer and putting categories in their index card box uh, to be able to write down scriptures that they want to memorize for, let's say, anxiety or patience or whatever. Uh, And then I, for us, I actually got a chalkboard for our bathroom. (laughs) And I will tell you, it was to cover up a spot on the wall that I didn't have the paint for at the time. (laughs) But I was like, oh, I can write a Bible verse on this. But I know other uh, people that we know that uh, have large chalkboards in their family rooms or whatever, that you can write your uh, Bible verse that your whole family can memorize. And as we're about to cover worship, I didn't want to go too much into this, but memorizing um, scripture as a family is very important too. But we'll talk about that here in just a second with worship. The last thing I wanted to mention when it comes to scripture memorization is get an accountability partner with it if you really struggle with um, making it a habit. It can, I, I mean, I don't know how much guys think that this is fun, but for girls, it can be fun to kind of have a partner that they're memorizing with and kind of have that challenge there. 
I don't know if that's a guy thing or not. So I'm just throwing that out there. If that sounds like it could be a positive uh, <laughs> encouragement to you, then find yourself a partner that will memorize along with you. Guys, just they would need another another guy to be in competition with that's going to call them girly names if, <laughs> if they if they don't do enough or don't work hard enough at it. Uh, there there's ways to finagle that too. And one one just one thing I know that I've heard before and. I don't remember if the, what the, exactly the app was called that the guy that was John Piper talking about one time. I don't remember exactly what app he was talking about, but um, another you know the, there's different apps out there for for Bible memorization or to specific verses to be able to pull up you know kind of like digital note card type things. Um, but really push the idea of when you get up in the morning, the first thing you do because most of us we get up in the morning we check our phone. It's right next to us. It's probably the alarm that woke us up. Uh, unless, you know, one of the kids was crying or crawled in a bed with you, and which has been many years of our life. Um, but if you're lucky enough to sleep in until your alarm goes off, uh, you grab your phone, you check it, um, you're looking, oh, do I have any new emails, any texts that came in during the night that I didn't hear? Uh, it's really hard not to then to swipe over to pull up Facebook, anything really interesting come up or any mess, you know, stuff there. And we go right into that kind of stuff. Um, but instead of that, um, have have an app on your phone that, that you can go to, and the first thing you do is you pull up, and it's the the Bible passage that you're trying to memorize, that you're working through. Uh, let that be the first thing that your eyes see, and you start off your day. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not saying that needs to be a law that we have hold to, and not a legalistic standard, but something to consider. Things like that, uh, whether it's the first thing that we see in the morning or the last thing that we see before we go to sleep at night, uh, those are things that can have an impact. Um, for the same reason that I like to read Lord of the Rings before bed, because there's a, a certain mindset that that kind of can put you into and it can, and at times, you know, have, let you have some, some pretty cool dreams. Um, but scripture as, is even more beautiful than Tolkien and, um, things like that for what are we putting in for our eyes first and last and, and at the important times, um, can really have an impact. Yeah, no, I agree. So let's talk about worship because all of our life should be worship, but this is also a very specific Christian discipline that we all need to develop in our lives in a clear way. Yeah. And, you know, probably the the biggest thing that um, is not understood well by most Christians is that worship isn't primarily or exclusively just talking about singing. You know, that... I think that's just our, our common nomenclature is that, you know, even the point where we have worship pastors at, at, at many churches, you know, you get the worship pastor. Well, who's, who's that? Well, it's the guy that leads the singing, you know, and that the, the assumption comes in there that, you know, that, that singing is worship or did you have a good time of worship? That's I, what I was about to say along those same lines, uh, worship does not equal your emotions. Yeah. And, and that's, but how often do you hear things like that? Well, how, how was your worship today? Well, it, it was great. I was really just felt into it. You know, I felt the spirit. I was moved or, or, you know, it really just, it wasn't really great. I just, I didn't feel anything. It was just kind of, it was just, I was there and I just, you know, it was, I was indifferent. I was distracted and it's all about what do your feelings, what did you experience? And we're tying it to specifically your emotional response to the singing. If you wonder why so many churches are dominated by Hillsong and other gross, you know, musical genres like that, it's because those things really do well of playing off our emotions, at least for women. 
Uh, there's also part of the reason why so many men are, are driven away from churches because uh, it's music that largely is, is, is built around emotionalism and built around feminine kind of responses and to emotional kind of stimuli. But that's, that's the kind of thing that churches that they want to have the biggest band, uh, the best kind of music, the best display, the lights go to a certain way, maybe some smoke up there if they're, if they're feeling a little edgy. Um, but they want to draw it out, the right kind of chorus sequence with the verses, uh, the right kind of the right time to have an acapella partial chorus and then kind of come back to it to really just build up that emotionalism uh, so that people can feel like they worshiped. Uh, they can feel excited. They can feel exhilarated. And they assume that because they felt something powerful, that they had this massive encounter with God. Um, and, and you have lost people by the throngs that are just going into churches and having chasing those experiences. And then when that church doesn't do it for you anymore, it's, it's a, it's really is a natural kind of drug, a natural high. And when that place doesn't do any for you, you look for the next experience, the next place that's more extreme, that's, that does even better worship. And, and it's that, that's really describes a lot of evangelicalism of the last couple of generations of always chasing that emotional experience, mostly through music. Just like facts don't care about your feelings, worship doesn't equal your feelings. Worship does not equal your feelings. Now, just just to uh, to quell any kind of uh, going too far on the other direction, the far too far of a pendulum swing, we ought to have our emotions and feelings engaged in worship. Worship shouldn't be a, a dead ritualistic experience, but it is not. Um, primarily concerned with how we feel and and what we get out of the experience. Uh, that was when we you know that in the cold open, reading from Don Whitney, um, worship is is about our focusing on God. It, it's 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 who we are there to worship, not who is worshiping. The worship service is about God, not us, and and that's opposite uh, of what you will find in so many churches now today because we have catered everything on how do we get people into the seats how do we keep them there how do we get them excited how do we how do we grow things on that it's all the numerical side and the impact on the people well, i know you've mentioned this before but once you start that process you have to then keep adding to it because how else do you keep it exciting so it just has to yeah. get bigger <laughs> if you attract people by by uh, the bread and circus you have to keep them there by... Which there's some churches literally doing circuses on stage. Yeah, there is. and, and I mean, they're not churches. <laughs> <laughs> there are some buildings that have church. Actually, a lot of those don't even have church in the name anymore. They've they've become more relevant than the word church. Um, there's some kind of gathering of some kind or whatever. But yeah, um, they the, the lengths that some places that used to be churches have gone to it's ridiculous because they're playing on that and that's how they attracted the people that are there. And that's what they're trying to do to keep them in a world that's cares less and less about um, the optics of being a part of a, a Christian thing or calling yourself a Christian. It's harder and harder to attract worldly people uh, and give them some, some reason to think that they still want to be a part of or are tied to anything that bears the name of Christ. Cause that that's not the ticket anymore to um, popularity or to in, being an influencer or anything else in this society as we get more and more godless. So it, as 
you know, we, we've kind of pounded on the, on the fact right now so far that worship isn't just the singing that we do. Um, worship is about our focus on God. And as such, uh, there are, there are different, uh, not categories, there are different ways that we worship or environments that we worship in. So there is corporate worship, which is mo- most of us are going to naturally think of uh, when we think of worship, you know, the worship service, the uh, worshiping in the church. So that's corporate worship. Uh, there's individual worship. Um, you know, a lot of times people think of that as like, well, our devotions are a quiet time or things. But if we are sitting there and thinking about the things of God, focusing on God as we read a scripture, focusing on God as we pray to God, focusing on God as we meditate on his word, focusing on God even as we sing just by ourselves um, and, and or sing along with with um, gospel, psalms, or hymns, um, we are we are engaging in, in individual worship and, and family worship. I know we've talked about that before and continue to do so. Family worship is is really it's it's the kind of like a bridge between corporate and individual worship. It's something you're doing together as a family uh, to to focus on God through the through His Word, through the singing of His Word, through praying together, uh, and through the different um, tools that we've been given and handed by previous generations, like confessions and catechisms and and stuff like that to help us memorize and to learn and to understand. I am going to just throw this out there because I do think people in their individual uh, worship, Bible study, prayer time tend to be very self-focused. It, it, this is a problem, I think, in even in, among just modern Christians about it, even then it's, okay, Lord, help me not to be anxious today. Lord, help me to do this. Help me to do this. Without, and I think I've even struggled with this is how to use that time effectively to worship God in the same way that you do in a church service. So maybe just help people because I've, I've struggled with that in my own personal life of how that works to uh, make sure that you're not just focusing on your own problems and even, or even praying just for the problems of others, but you're worshiping God for who he, he is. Right. And that's where you can distinguish. I mean, all there should be all prayer should be worshipable because we should be praying to the one true God. Correct. Um, but there's can be some difference between just some private prayers where you are really just bringing all your concerns before Him and and, and trying to intercede to whatever degree you can for the people that are around you and um, and and to, there's different different things there. That's a little maybe different than a prayer that is is designed and directed as worship unto God that that he is our focus that we are we are praying in in thanksgiving of what he has done praying uh in in glorification of who he is and his greatness and his wonder and his splendor and his majesty and we are exulting in the Lord God of our salvation and there is so there's there's a different even kind of mentality with that what's what's our focus as we pray is it on ourselves or on others, which aren't necessarily even bad things that we're bringing up our concerns or, or really showing our compassion, our care for others, or you know that's not necessarily a bad thing. But you know when when we're talking about specifically in, in the context of of worship and and uh, purposefully set aside time, setting aside time for worship, it's directing things on God, on who He is, on magnifying His name, on and lifting lifting up on him focusing on his glory um and and doing that in a way to shape our perspective and to reorient our heart and to drive everything toward him in that perspective and that, and we can do that through prayer by 
exalting him in prayer. And in, in a lot of the Psalms, we can see that in, in examples of well, that. That's in what Psalms. I was going to say is I feel like this is where things come full circle, that if you don't know how to pray or what to say, reading the Psalms and actually praying through the Psalms is a great place to start. Yeah. And, and there are resources. Um, Ligonier has a really good um, resource. Uh, I think it's 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 we'll studying put through it in this, the show notes. <laughs> we'll look for it in one of the show notes. Show notes, but it's it's uh, it's on the Psalms particularly. It's understanding and kind of studying the Psalms, and and it does a good job there of kind of categorizing because the Psalms there's like five different books I think in the Psalms um, as you go through it, and they're in different groupings uh, of the different Psalms themselves are kind of have different focuses. You know, there's some that are are more exaltation, more thanksgiving, Psalms of lament. Um, there's Psalms of, of wishing the destruction of your enemies. Um, there's a variety there, uh, but getting a hold of one of those kind of lists that I can't, I, I can't give you an exhaustive list right now, but, um, getting a hold of one of those kind of resources that can show you that can even help there. Like, okay, I'm wanting to particularly look on Psalms of Thanksgiving or Psalms of exaltation of God. And I want to focus on those things and use those to help me, um, in, in that kind of prayer that that's a designed worshipful kind of thing to really focus on who God is. Uh, and so that that's, that's one way that can be helpful with that is to use scripture to help us worship scripturally, you know, to worship biblically. And then I know we wanted to cover for corporate worship, just the importance it is for people to actually attend corporate worship. <laughs> yeah. That one, um, People of a generation ago, I'm sure, really would have struggled to think of how easily uh, American or Western Christians could just walk away from the corporate gathering. And and it would be nice if we could just blame COVID and blame all government overreach and all that kind of stuff and the panic and the fear of that. And that certainly accelerated the timeline, but this kind of that was already well on its way where, where Christians... Um, have developed that kind of mindset over time of it don't really have to be there in, in, in church. And there's nothing that you can get in church that you can't get at home. And, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of, of posting sermons online. Um, I think it's a much more effective way of, of, you know, people that are, whether it's shut-ins or somebody who's legitimately ill and can't be there or someone who's home or recovering or a mom that's home because the baby has a fever and they, they can't be around other people in the church. Um, to put things out there online for to, to be able to minister and, and and shepherd your flock, even when they can't be in the in the in the building that day, or if they have jobs that are you know jobs of necessity and mercy that they they can't be there on the Lord's day for worship. So I I I love the technology that allows us to do that, but it also allows people to play into their laziness that well, I can stay home um, in my pajamas and and if you have a church that's that's technologically adept enough to stream live, you can do that and actually sing along with your congregation and and do all those things with them in your home. And that's one thing where people, I think, always liked that, but were still a little bit unsure or embarrassed by it. And then COVID, when so many churches closed for, you know, not just a few weeks or a few months because they were trying to get a handle on the situation, but, you know, many places for a year or more closed their doors a lot of people started to realize that it is so convenient just to get up, roll out of bed and go sit on the couch in your pajamas and, and have your church and be a part of that and, and think that you've done 
what is required of Christians. And um, that is that is not church. Church is not hearing the same message or singing the same songs as a group of other people. Church is, is coming together as a family of families um, and, and lifting our voices and our hearts being united together in worship of God. And to, yes, to, to, to take part of that worship together, to focus on God together. But uh, the church is about, is about even more than that worship experience and that worship service. Uh, it, it's, it's about the discipleship, and it's about the accountability and the discipline and the encouragement and the support and all the kind of things that are absolutely impossible from your couch in your basement. You, are, you cannot be a part of the body of Christ in the local sense um, by just sitting on your couch. Absolutely. You have to actually be there and be a part of the body of Christ. Now, obvious caveats. There are some shot ins or there are different, there are right. a few limited cases of people that cannot be there. But I would, your point is still true. They cannot be a part of the, the local church on their own. Now, you can accommodate that and have, have um, families from your church go to visit them, have you know, some elders from the church be able to go and pray with them. Um, and, and let them, there's things, and in many cases, people, uh, there's many ministers who are completely comfortable with, you know, bringing elements with them and, and, and giving them the Lord's, Lord's Supper at where they're at, not denying them the ordinances of the church because they are physically incapable or for some reason can't be in church. So there, there are some of those outlying cases, but um, that's not the vast majority of people. And, and uh, a glorified cold is not the kind of thing that um, is excusable for driving people away from gathering together. And we are commanded in Scripture, do not forsake the, the, the gathering together of the saints, you know, to, to be together. To all the one another's of Scripture are really only possible in that gathered congregation. Um, and the binding and loosing that that was that was given to the disciples that, that Christ talked about in in Matthew 18, you know, the, the church discipline kind of stuff. Uh, those are very important things uh, that, that are necessary elements of, of a church. And those are only possible as people are gathered together uh, under the leadership of, of qualified elders, um, as, as everybody is pursuing Christ together uh, in that environment. And that's someone that has been universally recognized up until about, you know, 10 years ago. Or five minutes ago, or whatever, however you want to say it, it's it, it's someone that is being challenged now. Is they got the um, online church has been a thing for a while, or or trying to think like a completely in um, where people's avatars, you know, I think Meta had some that kind of stuff where your avatars would all meet somewhere in a, in a digital virtual reality kind of church and consider that church. Or that sounds stupid. Or um, you've got now um, you've got AI uh, that is generating sermons for a, a you know digital kind of churches and sadly probably doing a much better job than most pulpits are receiving uh, around the church around the nation right now but things like that I mean that, that that's just going to be a growing trend that people are going to find that and can it be controlled and influenced in all those kind of realms and it, it, those are dangerous and and um, not befitting of God's people but those are challenges that we're facing now uh, that we need to be aware of um, we we need the corporate body of Christ, and, and we need that element both for life in general and for worship. You mentioned that corporate worship was, what did you say? You said that we're a 
a family of families. How did you say that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then, so let's talk about family worship then the and how we disciple our families through family worship. Now, I'm going to just remind our listeners, we have a whole episode on this. <laughs> if you go back to our first season and early in our first season, there's a very long episode on family worship if you want to know um, a large breakdown of that. But just kind of give an outline of what family worship looks like for our listeners, uh, knowing that they can go get a lot more in that episode on it. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially, you know, when we talk of family worship, we talk of of three uh, essentials and then some other helpful additions. So uh, family worship is, is coming together as a family for the reading of God's word, uh, for the, the singing of, of um, spiritual songs and psalms or hymns uh, to God, uh, and then praying together. So those are the three essentials that are, that are there, and they, what that looks like exactly you know, can change depending, and so it's going to look a little different depending on how old your kids are or how many kids are in the home or if it's just you know a married couple or whatever that whatever stage of life you're in, uh, but those are the three core elements, and along with that, um, things that can be very helpful then are using you know referencing um, your confession, uh, using a catechism to help memorize basic Christian doctrines and truths, um, something like the family worship study guide that can help you have a little bit of a devotional or some helpful insight on each passage or or just having having the father um, be able to just expound on the text a little bit and ask some questions of of, of his wife and, and you know and kids to kind of help them along. But those are kind of things that are you do and you try to maybe grow in or figure out what works for your family. But the essential parts of it are reading God's word because that directs our, our hearts and our minds upon what God has revealed about Himself. Um, singing songs of of praise and and, and worship. Um, that are exalting God and, and praying to God. Those are things that are directing our hearts and minds to God, focusing on God. That's worship and things that we do that as a family. And that's absolutely essential if, as parents, we're going to convince and, and really sh- prove to our kids that this is something that matters, it's real, uh, and train them to love and to know and to fear God as we are commanded to do. Something I was just thinking about, because we, we've been talking about, okay, corporate worship, um, what our individual Bible study times and family worship. Christians, if you are doing these things and you are trying to show your, you, you want your children to be Christians, you, you will, by your example, show them that you care about Christ and that, you know, in, through your your prayer, you are praying that they care about Christ too, but your example is very important. So, you know, just by following what we've talked about today, if they are, you know, getting up in the morning and doing their Bible study and prayer, and then at night, you know, they're doing their family worship, and that that's every day of the week. And then on Sundays, they're going to church, and maybe the kids see their index cards of the scripture they're memorizing. Like, this is a pattern that as you show your children, they will hopefully adopt the same habits because you're going to show them and disciple them into these same habits. And yeah, I just, I was just thinking what a beautiful thing this is and how so many Christian families are missing out on this because Mm. they weren't taught to do better. Yeah. And just as a a bit of mercy, um, you mentioned, you know, doing this every single day and, and that should be our goal and our ambition to do this every single day. But, um, you know, just to put it in, in a very simple kind of term, like, uh, how often, you know, for your kids to know that you're a you're a, a fan of your favorite sports team, 
do they need to see you every single day um, devoting yourself to that team? No, a, a, you know, an excited weekly sitting down to, to watch the team um, and, and, you know, conversations that, you know, with friends along the way during the week or watching a show here or there or a sports thing that kind of talks about it, you know, reinforce throughout, you know, if they only see you ever talk about something once a week, they're not going to think you're a big fan. But if you if you're devoted that once a week and then you throughout the week at different times sprinkle in a little bit more of that, your kids are going to know that yeah they're 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 a devoted fan of this team. Um, so think about that and I can think of that kind of term, but you know towards things that actually matter. Uh, so if you're if you're excited and it's important that you go your family goes and worships together on the Lord's Day, and then you do family worship and may, maybe maybe you get four days in a week because because life happens. Um, but you're throughout the week, you are talking about the things of God and you are sitting down with it and they hear you talking with friends about it. They hear you listening to podcasts that are talking about it. They see you reading your Bible. Um, it doesn't have to be that you're perfect in every way along with this that never and miss anything. And you're discussing anything. things with them throughout the week too yeah. where you're talking about spiritual things. It, it's, it's that all those things kind of combine. So don't get so hung up on, well, I missed a couple of days this week, or God forbid, I missed a week. Um, okay. But over the course of your life, are they seeing you prioritize the things of God? Do they see this being something that is a part of your life, something that you feel is necessary and vital to your life? Uh, do they see this being a regular part of conversations and something that you are are researching and studying and, and thinking about it and intake? in taking and partaking of at else other times during the week. Uh, and if they do, well, they're going to see that this is something that's real and it's a priority. And then if they, and if you do, then you are going to be growing and maturing those things because you are dwelling on those things and you are thinking about them, being reminded of them, having your mind and heart turned back to God regularly and, and ultimately meditating on the things of God. So um, it's, it's when we talk about these disciplines, this is not a, a legalistic um, rule that you must do these things in the right kind of time uh, in order to be a Christian. It is these are the kind of things that you can fill your life with that will continually turn yourself, turn your heart and mind to the to the things that are beautiful, noble, pure, and true. That'll that'll direct your heart towards God. That'll keep you away from the idols of the world and the lusts of the flesh, uh, and that they will set you on the right path and they will help you to be able to set the next generation on the right path and impact people around you for that. So it, it's really, it's about a whole life kind of immersion into Christ because that's what it means to be a Christian. It's to follow Christ, to be like Christ, to walk that narrow path and to give ourselves body, hearts, and soul to Christ. Um, so that that's really what we're trying to talk about, and with all these different elements, it, it's covering all of life. It, it's it's expansive, it's immersive, it's intimidating, but it doesn't need to be. It's just about finding ways, time tested and proven ways in your life to set your mind and hearts upon Christ and to follow Him. And so, with that, we're just going to leave you uh, with that, that kind of thought. Hopefully, that's an encouragement, and just call on you to. Go forth and live for Christ and to build for your children's children. This is the Reformed Faith and Family Podcast.